Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Mark Safe. Tales of your very favorite and most beloved man-made disasters. On MarkSafe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is MarkSafe. What? I have the biggest bone I've ever had to pick with you, nay, anyone. And we're going to do it here tonight. Good. Let's rumble. <laughs> You've been waiting for this, haven't you? Yep. We've both had challenging weeks as mothers, and I think that we are ready to take it all out on each other. Yep, let's fight. Let's fight. Okay. Okay. You know, we've only talked about that. We haven't, like, verbally discussed oh, You tried. You tried to call me 19 times in the middle of the night to discuss this. You made me big mad. I could not. So this is concerning the show 911 that we have talked about a couple times before. As disaster relief. a few. As disaster relief. I feel like it's come up a couple times also, just in general. It's on Fox. Also, Hulu, if you're under the age of 70. It It's a... Uh, You've started watching it, so how would you describe it? I mean, it's a procedural thing about first responders. Right. You know, there's... It's, kind it's of Ryan campy. Murphy, very campy. I would say very campy. Um, it has... Oh, God. What's Athena's lady? It's on the tip of my tongue. Who plays Athena? Bassett. Oh, yeah, it's got Angela Bassett overacting to the limits of reality. Um, it's Ryan Murphy. But I'm so okay with lot. that because she's brilliant. Well... You know, opinions are mixed on that. And I respect other people's opinions on Athena. I personally not a fan, but I understand why someone would be. It's got a lot of explosions. It's it's got a lot of really interesting emergencies and then there's uh sections of the interpersonal drama of the first responders and it took me like 3 seasons to give a shit about most of it. I'm still kind of disgusted that I do now because it's not good. But it's entertaining. <laughs> It is. I mean, are, are we in agreement on that? It's not good, but it's entertaining. <laughs> I took the plunge and I started binging it. Okay. For you. Well, for you. I've yeah. done this okay. for you. I'm like, you said it's got a plethora of disasters. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's it a treasure trove of ideas. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm into and, it. And I mean, do you agree on those fronts? I agree. I actually, okay, so I dig the show. It's nice. It's 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 on the same wavelength as reality TV for me. It's definitely comfort viewing. So the reason that I really needed someone to watch this with me, I don't actually know really anyone other than my household who watches it. And I, I'm not giving away any spoilers, but in my opinion, and I will be later, but in my opinion, in season five... Hen has become absolutely insufferable. She is moving and shaking, making some changes in her life, and she has become fucking unbearable. And I never had an issue with Hen. I liked Hen until recently. And I need to discuss it with someone. And you're supposed to be like my best friend. Well, I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm through. Am I on season two? I'm on season yeah, two. No. Oh, no. You're canceled, though. You're canceled. And you're about to be canceled by more than just me. Are you ready? It's bound to fucking happen. Yeah, you didn't know it would be about this. And you didn't know it would be by me. Here's the problem, though. Like, 
everybody else is We're wrong. gonna get bad reviews over this, and this isn't fair because I am letting you drag this podcast down with your trash bag opinion about this, okay? Okay. So I am going to say spoilers about this because this all comes out in like season one or two and we're on season five right now. So like if you're really backed up on 911 and really want to catch up, I guess maybe pause the podcast and go do that. What the fuck are you doing? Okay. So Captain Nash. Bobby Nash. Bobby Nash. I don't remember if he's a captain in the beginning or not. He is played by Peter Krause. Who I like. Adam I Braverman. like him. You better. What the fuck? Of Adam Braverman, Parenthood, Notoriety. And, I mean, he plays, surely you agree, mostly the same character. No. No? I I mean, aside from, like, past behavior, like, current behavior, you don't think so? Nope. You don't think he's, like, very earnest and paternal? Bobby Nash is trash. Fuck off, Melanie. Okay. So here's the thing (laughs) with Captain Nash. He's an addict. Um, he had a back injury that he sustained on the job, saving lives as a firefighter, and he became an alcoholic and addicted to pills. And he lived in an apartment building with his wife and small kids. And he had who are adorable, a, precious, who are adorable. My God, you know something that's true. And he had a second apartment within the same building that was basically his flop house where he did his drugs away from his family. And he got all fucked up and didn't turn a space heater off. And the entire apartment building burned down and killed like 150 people, including his family. It was 148. 148. Three of them being Do you have a little black book that you write this down in, Melanie? Yes. Actually, it's my new podcast, Bobby Nash Trash. Well, I will leave you a bad review from a new account every single day. (laughs) I will leave you zero stars. So, it is... Okay. I understand that those are controversial facts, and a person hearing them on paper may have varying opinions on them. That's true. But... He is a fireman who... Addiction aside. I... That's not even But you can't put addiction aside. You're... You move your family onto the fifth floor of an apartment complex with no fucking sprinklers... No exit plan. And then you have, like, an extra apartment with a space heater. Like, firemen, they don't own space heaters. Like, what's he doing? And then you walk out and leave it on. Like, ugh, no. He was all fucked up. He's an addict, Melanie. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Nobody ever said he was making good decisions. So, anyway, regardless of what you think about those facts in terms of like what should happen to someone who does that in real life he is objectively given a very sympathetic characterization would you agree with that you're meant to like him fire those producers in because i hate them okay no fire your fucking self (laughs) fire your fucking self from having opinions (laughs) i posted a poll about this in a 911 fan group and 94% of people think that Melanie's opinion is bullshit. Well, I'm sorry. Bobby Nash is trash. He's very sad. You heard it here. Fuck off. You heard it here first. (laughs) Yeah. And last, because you're the only one who fucking thinks so. (laughs) And so his thing is that he's going to save 148 lives to even the scales as a firefighter. And every time he saves a life, he writes it down in his little book. And then after that, he's going to end his life. 
and he's I mean, on, like he gets, this redemption tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he he gets a whole character arc about making peace with that and like learning to live with the guilt and everything. And he's a precious angel who has to be protected at all costs from you, apparently. No, he's a fucking yes. shitbag that should be in jail because 148 people lost their lives because of his negligence. Yes, and that is manslaughter. And yeah, times 148. I mean, he, he legally speaking, he probably should be in jail for that. <laughs> I think it would be very surprising if, in reality, he didn't get jail time for that. That would be a little odd. Yeah. <laughs> Although. I mean, would someone normally get jail time if they left a space heater on? Fuck and it yeah, burned down would. an apartment building? I don't think they would. I mean, should they? Should they not? I don't know. But like, I mean, I lived in an apartment and the lady upstairs above me burned down the fucking building because she put a cigarette somewhere stupid and she never got in any trouble at all. Well, she should have. <laughs> I mean, she didn't kill anybody, but like there was definitely property damage. Well, I'm sure she paid think- a fine. I really don't think she did. Lucky. I don't think... I mean, I'm sure she didn't get her fucking security deposit back, but <laughs> I don't... I don't think that if there is an accident through absolutely no malice that leads to completely unintended deaths, I don't... I mean, I don't think... I don't think there's usually criminal charges. For that. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the whole point of manslaughter is that, you know, I didn't mean to kill you, but I did kind of gray area, but I don't know. I do like the show, but Bobby oh. Nash, I, I don't get it. I don't get I don't get the love. <sighs> he belongs one of two places, jail or on the Florida man bracket. So t- you have no soul. <laughs> what what the fuck? Who hurt you? <laughs> Who hurt you? Did somebody burn down your apartment building and you're still real shitty about it? Uh, we've talked about this. Someone burned down your apartment building? It was my oh, building. Yeah, someone it, did. it was the building next to us. Okay. Well, I mean, did that just affect you really deeply or something? I think so. Okay. Well, you need to see somebody about that. I'm still trying to unpack it. Okay. Well, you need to do that on a couch, <laughs> not your own. <laughs> You're fucked up. This is not normal. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so we like. We're just going to have to agree to disagree, I guess. Which, I don't know. I was like a little bit mad at you for like a day or two. <laughs> well, I didn't let it I go mean, either. I feel like anytime you got a breath, I was like, by the way, did you know that Bobby Nash did this? It's literally the nickname you set in our fucking group chat. My name is Bobby Nash's trash. I can laugh about it now, but I was kind of mad at you for a while. <laughs> I'm still kind of mad at you, but less so. And you guys should all go start 911 so you can take a side, my side. Yeah, so let us know. If you don't already. But if you do, hop over in our horrible ghouls Facebook group. Let's and do a share poll. Let's do another poll. Th- well, we could, but I just don't feel like the percentage of people who even watch it is really going to be that well, high. Well, these are... These are my actual people that listen to this podcast, so clearly they're going to agree with me. Oh, you think the horrible ghouls are going to agree with you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, all right, bet. All right, bet. (laughs) I don't think you will even get 10% of the vote. Hey, I will drink a space soda. Space soda. I will (laughs) drink a space soda if I lose this. Really? I will. I'm... I, really i believe i just i feel like okay. i feel like our listeners take the death 
of 148 fictional people, <laughs> including cute, two cute little children, into Nobody account. Nobody is sadder than Captain Nash, Melanie. I didn't say he's not sad. I just said he's trash. Oh, well, that's generous of you. Okay. I need to... I need to clarify the terms of this. So if we post a poll Mm -hmm. in Horrible Ghouls asking, is Captain Nash a precious angel who needs to be protected at all costs or a horrible monster who should be in jail? If you, if your side is over what percent, you will make and drink a space soda on video. Mm, What's good? Mm, I mean, I would say maybe if you get over 20%. You mean you less than twenty percent? If if at least twenty percent of people agree with you, you don't have to drink a space. Soda. All right, I like it. Okay, but you can't do some shit like if a person who did this did this, would they be a piece of shit? You have to know Captain Nash specifically. If you do, your vote counts. Don't cheat. <laughs> that I'm telling you not to cheat. You cheat, Nash. I don't trust you. <laughs> Can we do this bracket? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're coming to the final two. Okay. You got Today? Right now? Yeah, we have four left and we got to narrow it down to the final two. And then next week we'll have the winner. Mm. Jesus. Okay. I'm drinking a space soda right now. Ugh, gross. <laughs> and you will be too soon. Oh, wait. How long do we give it before we call the total? What do you mean? Oh, we'll, we'll, what? we'll, give, it, we'll give it a solid week. I think that's okay, fair. That's fair. Because yeah, that'll give you time to gather your space soda supplies. <sighs> this is going to be good. Okay. All right. So speaking of space soda, <laughs> Florida man calls nine one one multiple times, asking deputies to bring him ice cream and liquor. How does this keep advancing? I swear to God, I hate this one every time, and it keeps showing up like a bad penny. Well, here you go. It, it must just be going head to head against shit I really hate. Well, guess what is going head-to-head against... What? Alligator pants? Alligator pants. Oh, alligator pants. All day long. Easy peasy peasy. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Florida man threatens to destroy everyone with his army of turtles. Okay. Versus Florida man throws an alligator into Wendy's drive-thru window. Mmm... You know, the Wendy's drive through window one has gone far because I have strong feelings about the Wendy's drive through near me. But I think it's time for Army of Turtles to continue. I mean, the Wendy's window has really cruised by, despite the fact that that is literally assault and I really don't approve of that. Um, and I think it's time for that to go out to pasture. I think so, too. I like it. So next week it's going to be... Army of Turtles versus Alligator Pants. Oof, that's going to be a rough, rough matchup. Yeah. And then we can uh, give this basket away and start our Midwest food bracket. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> oh, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the Midwesterner and I'm scared. <laughs> I want to cook some of it. It looks so good. Does it? Mm-hmm. It does. Looks real good. So oh we're on. Have you ever had a buck? Uh, have you ever had a buckeye? No. Oh, okay. Well, you already know I've got feelings about that. Okay. <laughs> I'll save that. I'll save some of my feelings for a future day. So week two is spooky season. <sighs> okay. I have another 
teammate to call out. And so do you. This time, I think we're on the same side. Yeah, we are on the same side of this. This was sneaky as shit. So a fucking puppet master is at work here (laughs) called my husband. (laughs) And you guys don't know that he's going to be controlling most of your October experience. And I didn't know either. I didn't know. Did you know? I didn't know. No, he's no. been and like he was devious. He it was it was intentional. Little breadcrumbs for about a month. He mentioned this my episode like maybe a month ago. Yeah, and I think I mean I I know how it is for me, and it seems to be the same for you. I think that we tend to have some general idea of you know what the other might be cooking for their next few episodes if they've mentioned it, but it's not like hardcore memorized like i definitely always for sure know what you're doing next and i don't think vice versa either so it's it's possible for him to get away with this <laughs> basically did you ask him for suggestions or he, did he just feed you some oh no he was like melanie <laughs> have you ever heard of this place before i was like oh yeah i've totally heard that place i've broken into that place oh oh and he's like you should do an God. episode about this place and I'm like, yeah. And then I think he even made a comment about it being good for spooky season. Yeah, possibly so. Well, then I had some shit happen in my personal life in the past couple of weeks. And I was running late on an episode topic. And I think I talked about this last week that I'd started a haunted house story and then realized that there's documentaries about it. And like everyone associated with the documentaries gets killed. And I was like, not today, Satan. So I needed to pick a whole new topic. So I'm complaining about this at home. And he's like, oh, I've got a topic for you. (laughs) I totally know a topic for you. You need to do this. And I'm like, yeah, that's really good. That's, That's perfect for spooky season. So I start digging into this and like at the point that there's no turning back time wise, I'm committed to it. I tell you, I'm like, you're just going to die when you find out about my next episode. Like this is right up your alley. It's perfect for spooky season. It's got it all. It's got this, that and the other, blah, blah, blah. And somehow we realize they're very on theme. They're very on theme. Um, I'm not giving away your topic, but he had suggested to both of us two ideas that were, we talked it over and they're not too similar for us to do, but very similar. <laughs> like he clearly, like last year we had two film curses and it was fine, but he, he clearly wanted to hear a certain kind of story. And we called him on it and he started sending like the gleeful devil emoji and was like, I'm the ultimate listener. I do your editing. So I listen to everything. And this is what I want to hear for spooky season. <laughs> Fucker. We got played so hard. Oh my god, this puppeteer ass man. So, I mean, t- take whatever your feelings are about this to him. Yeah, it's tags. If fault. you're like, damn, this is wonderful. I love this. This is exactly what I wanted then for thank us. too. Thank us. <laughs> we did the I leg work. Say thank tag, but sure. Yeah, we did. We did the hard work here. We did the heavy lifting. But if you're like, what the f- why? Take it up with Tag because he pulled these strings very intentionally and he waited until we were both really pretty much in too deep to back out. Listen, I think we I mean, we could have if it really needed to be done, but thankfully it didn't. But Jesus Christ, Tag. He edits this thing. We don't really pay him. I mean, you might in some favors. Oh, <laughs> uh, my mom listens to this. We could, we could owe him. 
an episode or two. Mm. Yeah, I think you owe him a favor. Um, Brought to you by the letters T-A-G. Do you want to hear a story about an insane asylum? I do! Yay! And I will... Disclaimer up front for old-timey ableist language. Obviously, I will also put all of the many, many content warnings in the show notes for this. But, you know, I obviously wouldn't personally call this sort of place an insane asylum, but that is what it was called. So, should we get into it? Let's do it. I don't think that it is going to come as a surprise to you to hear that insane asylums were historically some of the shadiest shit you've ever heard of. I know. We, we all know that. Yeah. We have psychiatric treatment facilities now. Sure. And it may be tempting or easy to think that it's roughly the same population filling them now as it was back in asylums heyday and things were just a bit more murky and barbaric and ice pick centric back then but that would be incorrect some things are of course the same there are conditions like schizophrenia um, bipolar disorder intellectual disabilities that existed then and they exist now and i'm sure that the people suffering from them probably found their way to asylums often and they find themselves in treatment facilities often now too people who I mean, really genuinely have trouble living a life. You know, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. You know what I mean. People who need help. People needed help then and people need help now. But there are some differences. There was another condition in the 1800s that we don't hear quite as much about today, but it was just as challenging to treat as the ones I was talking about. Just as much of a medical, social, psychiatric challenge. And this condition very frequently required long-term hospitalization. And it was called having a vagina. (laughs) The hysterical woman. Yes. And, you know, today I'd probably phrase that a little differently because, you know, anatomy doesn't automatically equal gender, blah, blah, blah. But back in the day, I think it's safe to assume that gender nonconforming individuals would have been at least as fucked. Yeah. So a vagina really was the main diagnostic criteria then. There were some things that are upsettingly similar to bullshit that goes on today. Women who had been raped and abused, finally killing their abusers to protect themselves and predictably spending the rest of their lives locked away. And today we still have Centoya Brown, Brescia Meadows, and 80-year-old Lavetta Langdon, who was sentenced to prison in July for killing her husband after 60 years of abuse. Jesus. Sentenced to prison. 80 years old. <laughs> So we still really don't know what the fuck to do with women who choose to take the only way out they can see. But believe me, it was worse then. Right. (laughs) It's not good now. It was worse then. And it was a one-way ticket to an asylum. In a lot of places, men required absolutely no supporting proof to have their wives committed. They literally just needed to ask. Men men aren't responsible enough for that kind of power. (laughs) Mm -mm. Like at all. Some of them were basic i mean some of them basically just asked and succeeded some of them used bullshit trickery like the man who sent a doctor to his wife's house disguised well i mean i guess his house too (laughs) disguised as a sewing machine salesman what when he got yeah when he got there she didn't want to shake his hand which was an issue for him 
but he got her talking and she confided that her that her husband was a crazy asshole which was absolutely all the fake salesman needed to lock her away <sighs> when her son finally matured enough to be taken seriously as the owner of a very important decision making penis he was able to get her released <laughs> and she went on listen it helps that's how they make their decisions. Decision making penis. <laughs> she went on to found the Anti Insane Asylum Society, which did end up getting some shit done despite her debilitating lack of a penis. <laughs> so, <laughs> you calm it down. A very abridged list of things that I came across during research that warranted institutionalization in the 1800s for both men and women. Although you can probably guess that a few were pretty specific to women. Uh, let's see. Overeducation. Going to a church other than the one where your religious extremist husband was a pastor. Sunstroke. Medicine to prevent conception. Seemingly being Irish, there are a lot, way too many Irish immigrants in there, and it seems like it was just bullshit. Ooh. Having no money and being sad about it. Deranged man. <laughs> Deranged masturbation, your favorite hobby, <laughs> and having a problem with Captain Nash of Fox's 911. And frankly, we need to bring that one back. <laughs> you trying to get me locked up? Yeah, I will. Um, I will pose as your husband, and I will have you locked away, <laughs> and I will have no regrets. So we started building. Victorian era asylums, mostly for the Bobby Nash problem, and we just absolutely could not, would not stop. We loved it. Could not get enough of Victoria era asylums. It was out of sight, out of mind for people with conditions like epilepsy, and no one needed to feel all that guilty because the accommodations were breathtaking. The idea of sprawling beautiful manners with stunning exteriors placed in countryside locations it wasn't just how things shook out like that's because that's you know the kind of logistics needed to house people or something that was the prescription itself in the 1840s psychiatrist thomas kirkbride laid out the kirkbride plan have you heard of it mm -mm. a description from wikipedia says the typical floor plan with long rambling wings arranged an echelon staggered so each connected wing received sunlight and fresh air was meant to promote privacy and comfort for patients. The building form itself was meant to have a curative effect, quote, a special apparatus for the care of lunacy, whose grounds should be highly improved and tastefully ornamented. And later, in addition to the intricate building design, Kirkbride also advocated the importance of fertile and spacious landscapes on which the hospitals would be built with views that, if possible, should exhibit life in its active forms. Hmm. Sounds lovely. Sounds like a vacation in me. <laughs> right? Kirkbride also... That's good, because that's where you're headed. Mm-hmm. Kirkbride also <laughs> suggested the hospital grounds be a minimum of 100 acres in size. Probably so they could all get into Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> what are your feelings on Winnie the Pooh? Because I hate Winnie the Pooh. Really? Bitterly. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm learning so much about you tonight. <laughs> I mean, on the Winnie the Pooh thing does not surprise me. No, why not? Chickens, cats. Oh, 
Okay. Dogs. Classic Winnie the Pooh isn't that bad, but at least where I live, there's a certain kind of person who gets really into Winnie the Pooh, like nursery decor. Is it? It's like a certain, it's an Amber Portwood kind of person. <laughs> it might be local to me <laughs> that that's a, a thing. What if I told you that my baby nursery was Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> Huh, which baby? Me, when I was a baby. Oh, oh, no, that's fine. That's completely fine. Um, I, I mean, it might tell me something about your parents, but I <laughs> kind of already knew that. Um, <laughs> we freely speak ill of the dead on this podcast. Yes. Yeah, uh, classic Winnie the Pooh is technically fine. Modern Winnie the Pooh bothers me. It's a me problem, unlike your problem, which is a you problem. <laughs> And you should know that, but you don't. (laughs) Anyway, back to the Hundred Acre Woods here. The foliage and farmlands on the hospital grounds were sometimes maintained by patients as part of physical exercise and or therapy and or just work. They tended to put people to work, but not really in a grueling way. Just, um, you know, give people a purpose kind of way. There's a lot of bullshit about asylums, but I never really did come across doesn't mean it didn't happen, but in the course of research for this episode, I never really came across much about people being like worked really, really hard or something, which you would think they would be. Right. You would think that would be a bigger problem than it seems to have been, but no one really seems to have that much to say about the jobs they were given. Over the course of the 19th and 20th centuries, the campuses of these hospitals often evolved into sprawling, expansive grounds with numerous buildings. Kirkbride buildings had a pretty specific layout that was very common. There were more than 70 of them built. But although other styles and influences came and went, there was a prevailing concept in the 1800s that a specific kind of lifestyle was helpful to curing insanity that heavily involved the type of surroundings that patients spent their time in. Interestingly, when I was trying to remember the name of the Kirkbride plan, I googled something like, mental health approach with lots of fresh air or something. Mm -hmm. And I found a couple very modern buildings being designed like right now around really similar concepts. And in a quick scan of those articles, they seem to be framing it as this completely new revolutionary idea, which is so weird to me because like it was a whole thing. It's going to be for a long time. Yeah, it's going to be a big thing in my episode as well. Really? Uh Uh-huh. That's interesting. That makes me glad that we have such connected episodes. (laughs) And I mean, at the heart of it, they're probably right for some people with some conditions. I mean, that's not going to fix something that's like structurally wrong with your brain. But I mean, I could see it being helpful with depression and that kind of thing. Couldn't hurt anyway. But I don't think I'm spoiling history for you by saying that things were not as idyllic as some people might have hoped or imagined. Now, A little bit of an aside, something that I'm kind of surprised we've never gotten into because it seems super on brand for us. I think we may have gotten into it a little bit once, but not all the way. Gold rushes. Have we talked about any gold rushes? We haven't. And you know what? I was, someone was looking for, um, was requesting some books, some literature on gold rushes the other day. Who was that? I can't remember who it was. And I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. I want to get into Yeah, well, we have a little bit of gold rush activity in this episode. And as I started researching it, I was just like, how have we not, how have we not talked about this? It seems extremely on brand, especially for you. (laughs) (laughs) Gold rushes 
were like this manic lottery ticket style 1800s fever dream that occurred across the world. Someone would find a little gold and an entire community would spring up around the area as hopeful miners came to try to change their lives. There's gold in there. There's gold in them hills. For most people, it was a pipe dream. (laughs) A complete pipe dream. They couldn't get there in time. They couldn't find enough gold. They got there and found fool's gold. They got bad intel on where the next big thing was happening. It it could be anything. But a man's life could completely change overnight if he hit big. And it was common enough to hit big to be a pretty decent gamble for a lot of people who didn't have that much to lose in the first place. So happened a lot. An isolated location, suddenly being swarmed with miners required a lot of resources to appear very quickly. They needed housing, food. Where there are people, there's a need for medical care. Where there are people, but definitely where there are (laughs) large groups of desperate men competing minute to minute to secure their families' futures, there will inevitably be a need for law enforcement and jails. They're going to need postal services, banking. And you already know Mm-hmm. That if the 1800s loved anything as much as they loved gold rushes, it was insane asylums. <laughs> at least according to their thinking at the time where there are 18,000 men and their families, there is definitely a need for a sprawling country insane asylum. Oh, for sure. Of course. And this was exactly what started in the mid 1800s in central Otago. Otago? Otago? Hmm. I don't know. I wrote it down phonetically, and I don't even know if I meant tag or tog. Cool self. Central Otago, I think. New Zealand. (laughs) Why am I like this? I'm going to get a bad review right now. I feel it coming. I wish Brienne would research how to say words. (laughs) Shut up. There were a few false starts in the area with smaller gold discoveries that didn't really yield very much. But in 1861... A prospector named Gabriel wrote, At a place where a kind of road crossed on a shallow bar, I shoveled away about two and a half feet of gravel, arrived at a beautiful soft slate, and saw the gold shining like the stars in Orion on a dark frosty night. That's beautiful. Why were miners so fucking poetic in the 1800s? They had to be. I mean, they're... (laughs) (laughs) Did they? I feel like you got... You have to look at... Listen... Mining is so incredibly dangerous. Like, you have to truly appreciate every day like it is your last. I just don't feel like that's the dynamic in comparable fields today. No. I appreciate that approach. I think it's lovely. But I don't think it tracks with (laughs) the world. But Gabriel had hit pay dirt. In less than a year... 18,000 other men and their families had arrived in the spot named Gabriel's Gully after the man who had discovered it. There was already an asylum in the area, but it was overcrowded and it was on the same lot as a boys' high school, which, oof, not ideal. <laughs> the gold rush only lasted a few years, but a lot of the community stayed behind afterwards. And I mean, really, it wouldn't have taken a huge boom in population to easily push the need for new facilities way past critical mass. Something was going to have to happen. Enter our bearded friend, Robert Arthur Lawson. And I realize, as I just said that, that that makes it sound like he might be a bearded dragon. (laughs) 
he isn't. <laughs> As I was writing this, I didn't feel like I needed to clarify that, but suddenly I feel like I might. <laughs> Robert looked, unlike a reptile, like a cross between Commander Waterford and like season four Rick Grimes. Mm. He had curly hair, a widow's peak, and a beard just about down to his nips. Ooh. <laughs> are, you, are you getting excited? I have a mental picture. I mean, feel free to take this moment to Google him and see if it matches. I am here to say, I dig it. Melanie, am I wrong that he looks a bit like Commander Waterford? He's cute. I'm worried about you. Mm. Well, I mean, he might be your type in more ways than one. Anyway. Well, I mean, let's <laughs> listen. Remember that time I got all hot and bothered about Houdini? And <laughs> 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 my poor husband had to edit it. I did see that Houdini died on Halloween. Did you know that? I knew that at one point. I just, it was not front of mind, but I have known that. I think about this particular variety of white dudes sometimes, like not just not just white dudes. Like there's a lot to be said about white dudes, but <laughs> the the type who historically ends up seen as extremely important in something like architecture or music composition or philosophy or painting or something. You you know the type. Mm-hmm. Like the the great geniuses, but they're always white dudes. And I think about their place in history. And this is going to be clumsy because I'm going a bit off script here. And this is um, a big topic that I'm probably not old enough to talk about. Um, but I think about their place in history. I think about the history that we're taught, but also just like the objective history of what has happened in the world outside of anyone's narrative. And I feel like they are usually treated like kings because they had a very impressive talent or perspective and they existed in a time and place where it could be seen. Right. And I don't really want to impugn the talent of any one particular historical white dude because a lot of the times the people that we're talking about were extremely talented and gifted in a way that I'm certainly not. <laughs> but I, I absolutely never want to discuss these kinds of people, or at least I want to try not to, without pushing back against the kind of ambient impression that their gender or race-based abilities are the reasons that they're the ones with the Wikipedia pages. Exactly. Like, if you spend one hour on TikTok, you will find 20 different women, children, LGBTQ, disabled people, people of color, whose level of talent would get them hanged for witchcraft if they could travel back in time to when these dudes ruled the world. Yep. Like, insane, unfathomable talent that you just casually like and scroll past. If, But that, that would have also existed in the 1800s under different circumstances, and I'm sure often did exist. And that's not who we're talking about at all. That kind of gift... I mean, it seems to be pretty evenly distributed throughout the population, honestly. Right. And history does not reflect that at all. And I feel like we more or less know that now, but we all still grew up with pretty much the same narrative. And even if we know it's not true, 
Like there is a difference between knowing something intellectually and having like a cohesive counter narrative to overwrite it. Right. And a lot of what we do here is talking about history, which is a weird thought, isn't it? It's a total weird thought. It's so white. I don't think of us as being like a history podcast at all. I don't think of myself as being in any way versed in history, but we talk about historical events all the time Mm -hmm. and their context and their impact and their connection to each other. And it's, I know this is such a, a, a side tangent and an episode about an insane asylum, but it's not always easy or possible to reframe it because the people who could have been changing the world at that time weren't because the world didn't let them. So sometimes there's just not something to write because it didn't get to happen. And a lot of times things that did happen weren't recorded properly. And I mean, I can't make up versions of history that I'm sure happened because I want to. The information's not there. And that's fucking sad. We can. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I don't want to contribute to this bullshit concept that all the big geniuses of history were exactly one type of person, but sometimes it's impossible or beyond the scope of this podcast to tell an alternate version. And I think that when that happens, the best we can do is at least discuss the problem. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I think that's it. The awareness on that is, is, yeah, important. And I mean, as bizarre as it is to me, again, we have a lot in common with history podcasts, which I feel wildly unqualified for but i mean if we're going to turn on our mics and discuss it anyway i don't want to be one more voice acting like white men have been the gifted ones all along and now we're making room at the table for other people so they get to be part of the story too yeah the only leg up white men ever had was privilege exactly that's it some of them it was in terms of wealth and connections but pretty much all of them in almost all places at all times it was in terms of existing in a world that was receptive to what they had to offer because, I mean, there are definitely, like, you know, white men who started, you know, really poor and worked their way up and blah, blah, blah. And I don't... But there's still... I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's important. But the world was open to it. Right. In a way that it has not been and often still isn't for other people. And they are outrageously overrepresented in terms of dead people with legacies because they got to be. Mm-hmm. Not because they are naturally special. And that's what I have to say about that. I'm here for we it. All- <laughs> We all need to be writing a hell of a lot in the margins of our history books, and I cannot do nearly enough with that. I wish I could do more, but I will try to do my best. So back to Robert, the genius white man of our story. Robert was born in Scotland to what seems to have been a regular working class family. He had a knack for architecture And would theoretically turn out to be one of these singularly talented people, which by the end of this, we will kind of circle back to the fact that these people get to do so much bullshit and still walk away with these sparkling legacies. Mm -hmm. Robert was taken on as an apprentice at 15 years old, and he was an assistant architect in no time. He emigrated to Australia at 21 with very little plan and spent some time exploring gold prospecting before realizing how much of a sure bet it wasn't. He adjusted his course to refocus on architecture and settled in Melbourne until something happened. The gold rush in New Zealand that we talked about. Robert entered a contest 
and submitted his idea for a church design because, of course, that's another one of those things that where there's people, there's going to be that. There's going to be churches. And he submitted it from Melbourne, but he won. So at 29, Robert again picked up and moved, but this time he did have a plan. He moved to New Zealand where he knew there would be an inevitable need for a lot of new buildings because of this gold rush. He was already credited with designing some churches and schools, and he was up for the task. Robert quickly got other commissions for building designs and quickly became a very respected and sought-after architect. Then he married an 18-year-old woman named Jessie, it was so gross back then, and had four children with her. In 1978, Robert accepted another job, the Seacliff Lunatic Asylum, mm. to replace the shitty asylum in the area. He had a lot of experience designing buildings, but very little designing this kind. He decided to go with a subset of Gothic Revival style called Scottish Baronial in his design for what would be the largest building in all of New Zealand. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Scottish baronial buildings tended to look like very fancy fortresses. They had tons of turrets and gables. They were just very over the top and very castle-y. Um, Highland Titles describes the style as decorative, fantastical, and sometimes downright wacky. <laughs> Sounds like my type of building. <laughs> it really does. Sounds like your type of personality. Something that we should probably add to our Mark Safe bingo boards as I'm following up Brooke with a story is dude's designing things, getting experts or inspectors involved, and then completely disregarding their input, <laughs> because that is definitely what happened here. What an ass. Uh-huh. Seacliff's proposed location was in the middle of a forest with soft, unstable hillside all around. Oh, no. The ground was loose and sandy and completely unfit to support a massive brick building. You don't say. What? No, what could possibly go wrong? The director of the geological survey was firm that it was not a safe location, but the outrageous building continued to rise brick by brick, four and a half million of them to be exact, against some people's better judgment. Largely, the people doing the construction were patients at the existing asylum. Oh. Yeah, and I still didn't find anything about like this being a problem from a labor standpoint, even in more progressive articles it seems like the problem wasn't really that it was an outrageous level of work or they didn't want to be doing it or something it was they don't know how to fucking build a building most of them at all these are just people oh my gosh there were very obvious structural issues with both the main and temporary buildings even before construction was complete like the it, it didn't even have, like, a good day. <laughs> it just, it was fucked from the start. But when it was completed, it was truly a sight to behold. It was long as hell, like a lot of them were then, and it was basically shaped like cartoon Frankenstein stitches. It was one long line, the building was nearly the length of the Titanic, with little lines cutting through it. That's a great descriptor, by the way. Thank you, I was proud of it. I'd stared at that thing for a while, and I was like, how do I describe this? Like a bunch of E's next to each other where the lines go through both sides? Because it, it seemed like I should describe the layout, and I'm just like staring at this blueprint. And then I was like, this is a Frankenstein scar. 
It had turrets sprouting out of every available corner. I mean, it. Have you seen a, um, I think it's called a fairy tale castle cactus? Uh uh. They're ridiculous. They have all these little shoots off of them. And I mean, this is why, because this is what this freaking building looked like. It had a 165 foot tower that would allow staff to have a bird's eye view of escaping patients. And interestingly, the articles that I read all alternate between calling them patients and inmates, which I think is telling. Right. The building had cost the American slash modern equivalent of about $2.5 million, which I don't really think is that much. That's not not for something like that. No, I it, it was like 78,000 pounds and like 1880 something. And I'm like, that seems like nothing. But I bet when I put it, you know, I translate it to dollars and I put it in the inflation calculator, which is not, you know, mathematically exact by any means. But, but you know, was, they, they probably saved some money cutting those those corners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably saved some money on labor at the very least. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was built for 500 plus a staff of 50. And in 1884, patients from the existing asylum were relocated to the new facilities at Seacliff. The building, I, I would kill to know how this part logistically worked, but I could not find it. The building was outfitted with 1,273 doors, each with its own key. Oh. Like a lot of keys how he- how heavy would over a thousand keys be would that be something that one person could plausibly carry around they'd have to break it up by like each annex i would assume i guess that i just think like, that's crazy. just think one of those like gigantic like circle rings yeah but it's like a hula hoop that's yes that's exactly of, what i'm picturing with a bunch of keys and i mean I I assume that in a facility like this, doors are probably locked quite a fucking bit. Well, you, yeah. So, yeah, like, you wouldn't think it would be, like, I mean, it might be a hospital where it's like, yeah, it's got a million doors and they've all got their own unique keys, but, like, they're open most of the time. But uh, probably not. So, wow, no wonder the staff was so angry. <laughs> Two years after Seacliff opened... A landslide destroyed one of the temporary buildings, as had been frequently predicted would happen. (laughs) Who saw this coming? Literally everyone. 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 A new medical superintendent named Truby King was appointed at that time, and he did what he could to make the place the best it could be. He had very... It's hard to characterize. He had very progressive ideas for his time about psychiatric care that mostly seemed to be pretty good. He emphasized fresh air, light work, and healthy food as part of patients' treatment. I mean, it seemed to align pretty well with the Kirkbride plan, which I don't think there's anything wrong with. And the function of the asylum under him became similar to a working farm, which was, I guess, pretty nice. Five years after Seacliff opened, Truby started sounding the alarms that the ground underneath the asylum still was not stable, leaving whole sections of the building susceptible to collapse at any time. As was usually the case with asylums in this era, 
Seacliff was this weird mix of grandiosity, beauty, elegance, wholesome ideals of health and balance, fully coexisting with abuse, torture, absolutely nightmarish treatments that were seen as completely acceptable. It's so fucking bizarre to me, right? It is, because even articles that are written today don't seem to have completely reconciled these things. Because they're like, it was beautiful. The grounds were wonderful. There was this, there was that, there was that. And then four paragraphs down, they're like, and then they cut off an inmate's head and put it on a pike to tell the others to behave. Like, holy shit. Yeah, I looked I looked it's, up pictures of Seacliff and it's it's stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Men had a billiards room. Women had a sewing room. The grounds were absolutely stunning. Fruit orchards surrounded the building. There was a ballroom. Chickens laid eggs, which were collected by patients. Tomatoes were tended. In some ways, it sounds like a place anyone would want to be. Like you said, it sounds like a vacation. Mm -hmm. Certainly a lovely place to recover and reflect on your trash-ass opinion of Captain Nash until you're (laughs) capable of rejoining civilized society. Until then, Truby had a noble vision. And he did what he could to see it realized, but he was one person, apparently. And I'm kind of reminded a little bit of, um, God, what was his name on Orange is the New Black? Healy? I don't remember. Did you watch that? It's been so long. He was the gray-haired guy that was like, that I think he was the warden. yeah. And he, yeah, he was like, I'm, I support you guys, I'm here for you guys. But like, he didn't do shit for the most part. No, he was a hype man. Yeah. And he was not very effective. And he was also an open eugenicist, so let's not give him too many head pats. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he did have relatively decent opinions about psychiatric care. And there were dozens of staff and Thing, who were probably fucking mad about all those keys, and things slid into hell faster than a landslide destroying a building. Mm. Patients were not permitted closed doors when they used restrooms. Oh my gosh. mm -hmm. Lobotomies became popular as they entered their heyday in the 30s and 40s, which, yes, by the way, we are into the 30s and 40s and this fucking place is still a thing. And by the way, if you're interested in an extremely fascinating deep dive into lobotomies, hop on Amazon and order Patient HM by Luke dietrich i don't i have no idea how you pronounce his last name dietrich probably dietrich he is the grandson of one of the founding fathers of lobotomies and it's theoretically a case study more about um patient hm who was henry malayson i believe was his last name and it's been a minute i read this a few years ago but if i remember correctly henry was a severe epileptic and um, he had a lobotomy, which I think did help with his epilepsy, but he it was like 51st dates after that. Like he couldn't form oh, wow. any, any new memories whatsoever. Um, and it's a very interesting story, just like how that guy's life played out. But it's also, the book is way more than just about that guy. It's, it's about the entire history of lobotomies and all the bullshit dick measuring contests that got involved in it. And it's, oh my God, it's dark. <laughs> but I feel like, I have a lot of hot takes on lobotomies. (laughs) I read that a few years ago, and I feel like I want to get into an entire episode's worth of information on lobotomies that would be pretty thoroughly outside the point of this episode. But briefly, 
because I can't shut up. It really is a complicated history. It is really easy in 2021 to say, oh my God, they did lobotomies. But at the time, it was really complicated. Okay. Was it now? It was actually. How much do you feel like you know about lobotomies? Mm. Like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being an expert and one being, I don't even know what lobotomy is. I would say four. That is about where I would say before I read the, where I would say I was before I read this book. But I do feel like I know more about it now. And it's the situation's a lot more nuanced than that. There had to have been, there should have been some innate horror at the procedure. Like it's one of those things where it's like, how can you think this is okay? But at the same time, I mean, you have to consider that someone could say that about any surgical procedure. You got to start somewhere at all. Yeah. And I mean, like if, if, you know, heart transplants hadn't turned out well, we could be like, holy shit, who thought taking a corpse's heart out and putting it in this person with a bad heart was going to work? But it did. Yeah, and, you got a point, I guess. Yeah, well, I've got more points than that. But I mean, I, I still even knowing and agreeing with that point, I still kind of feel like this is something where you just you should look at what you're doing and be like, this can't be completely right. Right. But I mean, I also recognize that you could say that about a lot of medicine and a lot of what makes innovators in medicine successful is that they have the ego Mm -hmm. to push past that. But that's a problem because then you have people with these massive egos who are also in charge of checking it at some point. Yeah. And they don't a lot of the time. And ethics committees were not such a thing at that time. It was seen as a treatment for far too broad of a range of conditions, many of which, again, basically came down to being a troublesome person with a vagina. It was terribly imprecise, both in terms of what it was supposed to treat, which is literally anything, and what it even was. In the earlier days of lobotomies, which were called, they had another name, but we'll just stick with lobotomies. In the earlier days of them, surgeons were quite literally just jamming instruments into the brain through holes drilled in the skulls, often with only local anesthesia and just literally poking around. They weren't targeting all that much in particular at all. They were just squishing around in there. In some versions of the procedure, they kept patients talking throughout so that their loss of specific faculties could tell them what area of the brain they were tinkering with. I did know that. Yeah. But here's the thing. In some situations, it worked better than we'd probably like to admit. And I know that we probably all, I'm going to have to add this to my, I'm not a white supremacist and I I love armadillos and I'm not (laughs) pro-lobotomy. I just think that this is more of a nuanced topic than than we want it to be. Not everything's going to be black and white. It's not. It's really not. And it's it's upsetting because, you know, you hear about lobotomies where people just come out of it and they're a shell of their former selves. And, you know, maybe there wasn't really that much going on in the first place. And that happened a lot. And that's really fucked up. And that's the reason we don't have lobotomies now. Well, asterisk on that. We'll come back to that. But for some patients with debilitating epilepsy, it was the only thing that actually did reduce their seizures enough to have anything resembling a normal life. For a lot of things, 
it worked like kind of more things than you think right a lot of patients most patients survived if you find articles that are like there was an unbelievable rate of death and you're like okay well what was it it's like five percent which i mean that's not good but it's not it's terrible you think. yeah no <laughs> and i mean although it's completely expected and you're absolutely fucking around in someone's brain tissue the complications they were left with were all over the place it wasn't like yeah people who do this tend to have this thing happen i mean it could be anything <laughs> Anything where if you stick a stick into a little section of someone's brain might be affected. It might be that. I mean, it could be personality issues. It could be bowel issues. It could be neurological issues. It could be memory issues. It could be nerve issues. It could be paralysis issues. It could be anything. And some of it was really bad and some of it was not really that bad. Even if they did survive with relatively few physical complications, patients, I think almost all the time came out of surgery is just slower, simpler versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, in someone with constant, 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 constant seizures who began with a very poor quality of life, this may have objectively been a worthwhile trade-off for a lot of people. For depressed or agitated housewives, that is a heartbreaking outcome. Yeah, that's really sad. And you know that's who got it all the time. <laughs> Lobotomies do have a more complex legacy than most people realize. Aversions actually still perform today on patients with obsessive compulsive disorder. Well, I think it's the sh- the shock. People love the shock. This this mm-hmm. story, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean it is it is the stuff of horror movies for sure. But I mean they they stumbled upon something that worked sometimes for some things. You know, there were huge risks, major risks. And for a lot of things that it was being used for, holy shit, not acceptable. Right. But for some things that were truly limiting a person's quality of life, it was a good thing. But of course, these people, these almost always white men with God complexes had to take it way too fucking far. And instead of realizing that neuroscience had discovered a risky procedure with limited usefulness in certain very specific situations, these dudes, they just had to take it to the next level, had to take it too far. There was money to be made in expanding the use of lobotomies, and there was absolutely prestige in being one of the cowboy surgeons innovating something that could at least alter the mental state of all sorts of troubled patients. Like, imagine if every patient who had something wrong mentally you could push a button and it would do something right definitely do something it'll change something i mean you're gonna push a button on some people and that's gonna be fucking awesome but some of those people most of those people (laughs) did not need that button pushed a psychiatrist named walter freeman saw a problem that he could solve who needed lobotomies the most very simple asylum patients obviously There was a logistical problem. Asylums lacked operating facilities, anesthesia, and surgeons. It needed to be an in-and-out thing, but like in-and-out in the sense of like an ice pick going in and out of your eye sockets. There's no need to cut holes if holes already existed. Inspired, Freeman pioneered the transorbital lobotomy. 
which involved placing an ice pick-like instrument between the eyelid and the upper eye socket and tapping the bottom with a mallet until it entered the brain. Yep. The procedure left patients with black eyes and altered personalities. But sometimes it was a two-for-one deal, because if there wasn't anesthesia available, and there usually wasn't, asylum administrators could simply use electroconvulsive therapy to knock them out first. Oh, no. Yeah. And the more flippant approach to lobotomies that started when they tried to turn it into basically an outpatient procedure, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was done that way a lot. Like, hard and fast for a period of time. But it was the beginning of the end of public or scientific acceptance. Electroconvulsive therapy, I'm not going to get into that as much because I just personally don't know as much about it. But I do know that it seemed to have a similar history and a similar time frame. It worked better than you probably think. It's still used more than you probably think. It's safer than you probably think, but it was still real fucked up. Implemented horrifically and for shit that was wildly inappropriate to be treating like that. Seacliff innovators that they were, was involved in both of these procedures at their height, sometimes at the same time, when they were being so broadly applied as to use, to lose meaning, to lose, you know, function as a treatment because you're just using them for anyone and anything. It's like, at Seacliff, just as, like going in and brushing your teeth. Yeah. At Seacliff, they were more than just overused for psychiatric conditions. They were used simply as punishment for minor disobedience. Oh, no. Yeah. And I think a rule we can apply to most areas of life is that when a treatment for literally anything starts to shift to being a punishment for literally anything, there's a problem. A big problem. That's just those two things don't need to overlap ever. Ever. Women were sometimes forcibly sterilized, sometimes including not just the internal organs, but the clitoris. Oh, 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 some handmade sail ship. Patients were regularly beaten. A higher up who dealt with returned soldiers and their welfare kind of had to intervene in the treatment of some veterans at Seacliff. And his name was Colonel McDonald. And he said that the situation at Seacliff was the most unpleasant thing he'd ever had to tackle in over 25 years of military service. That's not good. No, that's really not. <laughs> For a lot of people, many different groups of people, Seacliff was a place of just endless suffering. But something even worse was coming their way for some of them. On a December night in 1942, 39 women were asleep in a two-story wooden building. The doors were locked from the outside. Every window was locked from the outside. There was no possibility of escape, which is one of those things that takes on two meanings. Because, you know, you're talking about a quote-unquote insane asylum, and you're like, there's no possibility of escape. I mean, technically a good thing. But in other scenarios, there's no possibility of escape. Sounds real different. There was also no staff member working. Someone came by to check hourly, and during one of those hourly checks, they found the building engulfed in flames. Oh, my God. Gosh, and they came get out. Mm-mm. Two women were able to be pulled out of the windows by staff, but the other 37 burned to death. The women ranged in age from 23 to 70. That's so fucked. I know. In the course of time between the two hourly checks, the building burned completely and totally to the ground, like ash and nothing more. 
By fatalities, it was New Zealand's single worst event in history at the time, which as an American is hard to wrap my head around because I feel like we probably topped that in our first week as a country (laughs) and continue to all the time. They never figured out definitively what caused the fire in the first place, but they were able to identify literally countless things that could have and should have prevented such a large loss of life. From better staff supervision to appropriate fire alarms and sprinklers to better building design. It was all 100% on Seacliff, and it was all 100% things that they had already been advised to fix and ignored. (laughs) The fire was suspected to have been caused by a short circuit igniting when the foundation shifted due to the unstable fucking ground. Imagine that. As I'm sure is your primary concern, Robert Lawson's reputation was mostly disgraced. Good. And yes, he was subject to an inquiry where he was described as negligent and incompetent. His so career Bobby Nash. Had... Fuck off. I was <laughs> waiting for it. God. Okay. I will let you have that one because I walked into that. <laughs> and I would argue that uh, prologue Bobby Nash was indeed negligent and incompetent, but now he's very fucking sad, Melanie. And like I told you, if you ever accidentally kill your whole family, I will be much nicer to you than this. Well, it's not going to (laughs) happen. I guess it's good for more reasons than one. Robert's career had been a big fucking deal, but now he couldn't even get a job. Mm. But Bobby Nash got his back. Bitch. (laughs) I can't wait to brawl with you. And horrible ghouls. I can't wait to watch a video of you finding out how fucking wrong you are about space soda, too. I just don't understand how a fireman can kill 148 people and get his job He was back. an addict. Okay, I mean, that... Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's questionable. It does come up, though. His job ends up not so scot-free. We'll see. I mean... I'll be, that, I'll that be the judge of that. Well, I mean, you will not be happy with the level... Of what happens, but like that does get addressed, sort of. <laughs> anyway, soon after Seacliff started falling apart, like Melanie's moral compass, problems appeared in Thomas Lawson's other buildings load bearing wood beams, rotting in practically new churches, like Melanie's soul, lots of dampness problems. <laughs> like, my I'm not gonna say anything about that. <laughs> that was you, not me. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone there. (laughs) He flounced out of New Zealand for a decade, but then he returned in 1900 to clear his name because that was obviously still the most important thing. He started working with a former student. Things were going okay, but then he suddenly died two years later at 79. But then, like, how sudden is it when you're 79? Everything made it sound kind of shocking, but then I did the math and I was like, it was... It was 1900, and he was 79. Yeah, you but okay. you lived two lives. Yeah, I don't I don't know how expected that was, but okay. <laughs> Today, he is seen as a ma- major architectural name, very influential and important, which is just wow. Boy, we share our Sullyan reputations tonight, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like he could, like aesthetically design his ass off but when it came to things that would actually like hold up in life eh. so basically very similar to a modern day talented sim builder but here we are talking about him a century later 
And I'm here to tell you, get on the Sims 4 gallery and look at the shit some people have designed and tell me if you're still that fucking impressed with Robert Lawson. (laughs) Since his things can't exist in the real world either. Seacliff was finally shut down in 1973 after years more of overlooked suffering and brutality. They made a couple bullshit changes after the fire, but nothing really. It was demolished over time between then and 1992. Today, the grounds are a nature reserve known as the Enchanted Forest, which is widely considered very haunted. And I have to tell you, this has been one of the most frustrating experiences of my life as a podcaster. (laughs) So we talked about this before, but I have to talk about this again because it is important to me. When I looked into this place in this episode i was like wow this is perfect it's an insane asylum which is very you know spooky very fitting for spooky season it's got actual disasters it's got a landslide it's got a fire and it's considered like the most haunted place in new zealand which like i told you earlier a lot of the shit that we cover it you know there's a lot of appended and now it's haunted in wikipedia articles and we don't really get into that very much because that's just like not really what we do but i'm like well you know it's spooky season so i'm gonna lean into this and i'm gonna do like half of this on the haunting stories so i get all the way through the research and i get to the end and i'm like lay it on me internet give me your haunting stories give me your your freaking ghosts walking around and patient clothes and and flying around a turret and crying about their lobotomy and give it to me i don't care if it is um highly credible i don't even care give me your spooky stories there is nothing nothing i'd be big mad i I am so mad i could find a few articles or encyclopedia entries or things where it's like and now it's considered very haunted period and <laughs> or the site is now considered one of the most haunted places in new zealand and i'm like okay there's gotta be a sketchy reddit thread somewhere that's like tell me all your stories of seacliff insane asylum and i'm like i don't even care i'll go with that i'll be like you know it's from reddit i don't know how sketchy it is but like it's ghost story time there's nothing there is nothing it's widely considered very haunted by whom? Yeah, we need to know. I I am distraught about this. The entire reason I did this, because I'm sure there's some other spooky asylum that has actual ghost stories. The entire reason that I went with this one was for the fucking ghost stories. <laughs> I mean, I th- I still think there was a lot of interesting stuff in this one, but come on. I'm I'm mad. I'm so mad over this at all. But that's all. It it was haunted. That's it. We don't it's just That's it. Just just no. It's haunted. Haunted by who? I don't know. Maybe it was haunted by Robert Lawson and his big beard. He's like, I built this wrong. <laughs> Maybe it was haunted by the women from the fire. Maybe it was haunted by I mean the 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 possibilities are endless, but we do not know. We simply do not know. There are ghost tours there, but can I find so much as a review of them? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Nothing. Um, some film 
shot itself there 10 years ago. Wow, that sounded really weird. It shot itself. A, there you a, go. A mo- a mo- <laughs> it's a whole dingy. It's 12.36 a.m. shot itself. <laughs> a movie was filmed there about 10 years ago. A scary movie. Um, but I don't, I couldn't even really find that much about that movie. Maybe that is the haunted thing. Yeah. Is like the, 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 the almost paranormal level of non-information about hauntings. I don't know. I'm, I'm mad. I'm going to stay mad about that for a while. I will be over it before I'm over your bullshit with Bobby Nash, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see about you. What do you think about Hen, by the way? I like her. What season are you on? Two. Well, I liked her then too. But I don't even trust you anymore. Why? I don't trust your judgment. Because I felt pretty confident that we were going to have pretty compatible opinions about people and we would be able to talk shit about Hen in season five. But, I I mean... We don't have to agree on everything, Brianne. No, but we do have to agree on this. On Hen? Or Bobby Nash, because that's Bobby not going to happen. <laughs> no, we don't have to agree on that. I'm open to other perspectives on that. She's just irritating the shit out of me in season five. Anyway, I think we need some disaster relief. Yes, we do. Okay. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? Go first. Um, Mine is, once again, the strings are being pulled by the audio guy. He, I mean, he should really pay me something because this whole episode is just like sponsored by him um he i was looking around for maybe someone i followed recently on tiktok to do for disaster relief and he was like no you have to do midnight mass okay so if you've seen um the haunting of hill house or bly manor this is another in that franchise it's called midnight mass is it good? We're about half. We're about halfway through the season, and personally, I'm gonna file it under good but entertaining. Yes, it was a slow start. Um, I am really into it now that we're halfway through. I don't know if I would call it good, but you should watch it if you're into, into spooky stuff. It's really different tonally from the first two. Really different. I thought Hill House was quite good. I still haven't um, seen the. Uh, I loved Hill House. I I never saw Blythe. It was one of those things that I waited to watch with Cody, and then it just... Yeah, I've had some of those that I've waited to watch with Cody. Um, (laughs) I meant my husband, but then I realized halfway through that sounded... A little weird. Like maybe his double life with me is why you can't watch shows with him. He's flying here. (laughs) Um... No, it, they're all three pretty damn different. Um, Bly Manor was good. I thought Bly. I think was, I said Bly. Sorry, you did. It's okay. It was sad and spooky. I thought Hill House was a lot scarier and just kind of more interesting. Um, I mean, none of them are really killing it that much on CGI. <laughs> like, really, they're really not. And I would not, I, I would say that Midnight Mass is similarly not doing that much for the world in terms of CGI, but it is an interesting show. And it's what I would have been doing if I wasn't recording this podcast. So 
it seems reasonable to make that disaster relief. Yeah. I mean, if you aren't watching a show right now and you want a good way to pass like eight episodes or so worth of time, yeah, I recommend it. That's all. I got a couple seasons of 911 I still have to get through first, but mm-hmm. I, I will definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. Mine's kind of a two parter. Okay. So I remember this today because my girlfriend, Sarah, text me and she asked me if we had a particular cereal here um and i was like heck yeah heck yeah we do like at your house or in louisiana in louisiana it cinnamon toast crunch has dolce de leche flavor now oh okay and it is so good that sounds pretty good it is amazing so i was like heck yeah we have it i'm gonna do you a favor So here is my public service announcement. You get yourself a bowl. Sometimes you keep the bowl in the freezer. Does this involve ice cream? Yes. Okay, I'm into this. It's Cinnamon Toast Crunch is by far my favorite ice cream topping, period. I haven't had it, but this is super legit. I really love fried ice cream, and I think it could be similar. It is similar. So you get your bowl of vanilla ice cream. You crush it up. You don't want to just, like, willy-nilly just pour the cereal on there. You got to make it a little, like, crunchier. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then you take a little bit of chocolate syrup and just drizzle a little bit tiny over it. Ugh, it's so good. I'm into this. I'm telling you. Ice cream is so much I'm... better with cereal. Interesting. I'm not really that much of a desserty person. So I don't, you know, I'm not that much of a desserty person. So I don't tend to try these things. But I may just try that one. It's so good. I came up with that <laughs> and I wasn't even high. i've come to realize that my this is actually like you ever have like a stupid revelation about yourself and it is very inconsequential to the world going around but you're you're just kind of like mind blown for a very long time about Mm -hmm. it okay well mine recently was that i realized that like 98 percent of my food preferences are about crunch and texture difference yeah it's it's rarely even about the flavor. It's just like I can't stand like just putting a bite of soft serve ice cream in my mouth. Like why? You need more. It's just Do yeah, you use a I, lot I, of I condiments? Crunch. Um, I don't know. What's a lot? I wouldn't say a lot. I like to choose my condiments quite carefully, but I don't think I use all that many of them. No, no, I'm like saying you got your french fries. Your ketchup. Okay. Is it a big, like, gloop of ketchup or just a little bit? I think I'm a more moderate ketchup haver. Like, if I've got, um, if I've got a two inch fry, I'm gonna just, you know, lightly dip maybe the first quarter to half inch in ketchup. Hmm. I think, I think it's normal. When you throw away your dish, do you still have condiments on your plate? It completely depends on how much I put on there and how much food I had. And I couldn't, I couldn't say that. I feel like you have a thing here. What's your thing? I was just, I was just wondering. <laughs> okay. 
some people have condiments left on their plate when they're done and some people don't. Okay, but do you? Oh, I always do. Because I like okay. I, I like to do this thing where I, <laughs> well, I'll take my fork and dip it in the condiment and then, like, stab my food. Hmm. I don't know about that. I could see that with certain salads, but I think I think that has limited utility, much like a lobotomy, but could be very helpful in certain circumstances. <laughs> I like a balanced bite where condiments are concerned. I don't, um, I don't feel that I like, you know, huge globby amounts, but I don't like such a tiny amount that you can't even taste it. I, I think it's, I really do think it's the appropriate amount. I'm feeling very defensive right now. Um, but yeah, I figured out like six months ago that it is, and like I'm thinking back on all my favorite and least favorite foods and every single one is actually about crunch and texture balance. <laughs> And now I feel really weird about it because I'm like, do I even have taste buds? Like, would I eat crunchy shit? I mean, I'm sure you have taste buds. You don't have taste because you like Poppy Nash, but you definitely go to hell. Oh, wait, you're already going there. <laughs> you're a bad banana, Melanie. You know who's not bad bananas? Uh, Captain Nash. We got some Patreon shout outs we need to do. Yay. And we've got a special thing. So, yeah, we do have a special one. Uh, Jackie S., from last time, she, since we, you know how we matched them up with their buddies. Which is my favorite thing, and I hope you plan to do it again this time. I do. Okay. So she actually came into the Horrible Ghouls group and was paging her buddy to go donate blood together. And I thought that was, I mean, oh. we don't want to dox anyone and give, I'm not going to, no. I'm not going to pair you guys up by address because that weirds me <laughs> out and I don't want you. <laughs> No, but someone is looking for you in the horrible ghouls group. <laughs> yes. Amy, Amy is like, "Well, I'm I'm pretty close to where you're at." <laughs> so it might happen. Oh my god, we can quit then. We can quit. Uh It'll be over. So I do have a redo cuz okay. I think last time I said Karen Alec and she's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. It's like smart Alec." Oh, well, thank you for telling us. We're sorry. We are sorry. I mean, you don't have to be sorry. I have to be sorry. I think I was, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I read it like a lack. Then I went down a rabbit hole where smart Alec is an actual person. Did you know this? What? No. And the story is incredible. So I can't remember what his name was. It's Alec something. And his wife, um, she was a sex worker, would con men and, like, steal their stuff. What in the world? Yeah. So that's kind of problematic. Definitely problematic. Okay, so she's going to need to change her last name. <laughs> You're welcome for that. We're sorry we pronounced it wrong, and we're sorry to notify you that you're going to have to change gonna it. You're going to have to change it. Yeah. But we'll give you a buddy. Vic yeah. Victoria Huntley. <laughs> you can take her last name. That's a good last name. I think so. Shit, you can take mine, but you are going to have to change it. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Beth Anna, which I think is That's very cute. cute. And Carissa Andes. Oh, those names go great together. Mm -hmm. We also have, okay, 
You didn't tell me how to say it. I wanted to say that maybe it was a typo. It could be a typo. It could not be a typo. Um, it's It looks like Katie, but the E and the I are switched. It's K-A-T-E-I. Interesting. Kate. I'm, I'm fascinated Katie? by this. I don't know. Katie Cummins. I don't know. Let us know. We'll correct it next we'll week. We'll correct it. You get an extra buddy. But um, this week, your <laughs> buddy is Mandy Shank. And I know how to say that because what? that's your mom. That's my mom. And I deleted <laughs> it mom? so you wouldn't see it. And I could <laughs> I surprise you. Oh, I can't believe she didn't say anything. She can't keep secrets. Hi, mom. She was cute. She really wants to come to her Halloween party, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, she can now make her pay for it didn't we say we were gonna <laughs> exploit your mom once i i mean i think we were definitely gonna exploit your aunts and we definitely had a plot at some point that we were going to randomly discuss specific listeners during patreon episodes and then casually mention that we had <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with us why do people why are you here guys we're not Good. To make friends. Anyway. So now after to make friends. everybody has their buddies. <laughs> go donate some blood or Oh, that's so cute that you hit that. <laughs> well, she reached out and she said because I think she thought she got double charged because she got two emails. And I was like, Oh, I'll check that. And I was like, Do you want me like what do you want to do? Like, we should delete this. Let's delete this. <laughs> let's let's surprise Brianne. You're so cute. Yeah, I had absolutely no idea. I was like, wait a minute, that's my mom. <laughs> Which is, by the way, I didn't mention the specific date, but the, um, now I will, the asylum fire was on her birthday. Oh, wow. Different year, same day. Happy birthday. Happy Ooh. birthday. It's an asylum fire. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's real shitty because the, um, our, our, I think it was the last full episode was completely from her. <laughs> The uh, plane crash one, like that was completely from her. <laughs> oh, that's and in like, the Patreon. Sorry, you can't listen to it. Oh, <laughs> she suggested like, it. Thanks for the idea. Yeah, but you can't hear it. Well, she can listen to it now. Yay. And you guys can, I wonder if she has. You have, to, you, have to, you have to ask her now that you know that I will. she's a Patreon. I bet she has. I bet she has. Um, she's a, she's, she's diehard. <laughs> but yeah, so we got a Halloween party coming up this Saturday. Um, Eight, I bet my mom will be there. Eight o'clock. Put your costumes on. Listen, if you don't have a costume, it's okay. You don't. You can. You can mute your camera, or you can just oh, be yeah. cute. Whatever. Just come hang out. I want to do a scavenger yeah. hunt. Um, no one knows what that means. My husband saw that and he said, "What the fuck does Melanie mean? I'm not hiding things in my house." I still don't know what that means. No. So we will be like, hey, like for example. Do you have a plunger? I, think I know what you, you have mean. a plunger, and then everybody runs and gets a plunger, and the first one back wins. But not literally plungers, because that's gross. No, but we'll think of Any, something. I don't know, like <laughs> a frog. No, okay, that's <laughs> we'll not make fair. it fair. We'll make it fair. Okay, we'll do like okay. No, I actually stuff. I am into that. I am into that, and then and I think my kid will be into that too because she's going to have to be at least a little bit there because it's before her bedtime. And then we'll do. I want to do a Q and A. So if you have any questions for me and Brianne, like send those over. We'll pin a thread or something. Oh yeah, I think those we are would fun. Love to chitty, we would love to chat. Yeah, um, bring your, your gossip. Thoughts. And uh, I thought you were going to say, bring your gun. Please don't do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't do that. 
And then, oh, yeah, God, I want to bring your gossip. Bring your gossip, and uh, there'll be prizes. I'm going to try to come up with a prize for um, the scavenger hunt and for the costume. We'll vote on a You're costume. So um, it won't be mine. It won't. My, my thing, things went sideways for me. I was going to do a cool um, themed one relevant to the podcast, but then uh, I ended up getting my family to agree to themed family costumes for the first time in my life as a parent, and I had to run with that, and I'm too cheap to buy two separate costumes. So No, I dig it. I'm really excited about mine. I am. Me too. I'm, Me too. I'm doing Count Dante. I know. It's going to be... I don't know. It's going to be glorious. I can't wait to see the facial hair. There's a lot of drama going on in Count Dante world right now. I'm like glued to it. Why? So apparently Count Dante verbally gave his Black Dragon Society to another member who then passed it down to his son who runs the Facebook group now. So he, you know, says he owns the right. I mean, it is a big, big. I think you should actually save this for the party. Problematic mess. Because <laughs> I think this is going to be a very interesting party conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Party Saturday. We'll see you there. We'll see you there. And uh, bring your opinions about Melanie and her opinions. Okay. I got thick Captain skin. Nash. I, I can take it. You, you better. All right. Sweet dreams or no All dreams. Right. Sweet dreams or no dreams. Hey, Horrible Ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us, too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.